0: and welcome to Insights into Wealth with Bull Wealth. I'm Julian Smith, CEO of Bull Wealth. Today, Randy Gunn, Bull Wealth's Vice President and Portfolio Manager, speaks with Jeanette Bach, Founder and Senior Transition Specialist at Fluid Senior Transitions. Jeanette has over 30 years of listening, planning, and solving the challenges of transitioning to our later stages of life. Randy and Jeanette begin their conversation by discussing the differences between long-term care and retirement living then discuss where some of us may make mistakes as we age and forget to plan or plan too late for this next chapter of our lives. Finally, Jeanette gives examples of how to transition to retirement living or staying in your home as we age. As you can imagine, Randy and Jeanette's conversation is both thoughtful and insightful, and we hope it helps with your planning decisions. As you know, we like to keep it short and simple, so we will leave it to Randy and Jeanette to further discuss planning to live your best life. Jeanette, thank you so
1: much for joining me here this morning.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Randy. I'm pretty excited about doing this podcast with you and getting some of this information out.
1: Well, that's great. I think elder care is a topic that all of our clients and listeners and hopefully everyone we work with can learn more about. Why don't we dive into the first question, which is what's the difference between long-term care and retirement living? And maybe you can talk a little bit about the costs associated with both.
2: Absolutely. So let's talk first about long term care. I think most people know long term care as nursing homes. And about long term care, it is actually controlled by our public health care system. So if you have an OHIP card, then you would be eligible for our long term care. Now, we don't get to decide when we go. That is left up to the home community care support team, which work for public health. And they are the gatekeepers. You may make an application to long-term care and they would then come do an assessment and determine whether or not you were requiring that level of care and whether or not there's space. And the crisis list is pretty much the only way most people are getting into long-term care these days because we are in a crisis situation. We don't have enough beds in long-term care. So very often it really means that the person that is on a crisis list would sort of be looking at high care needs. So either dementia plus a very little mobility, bedridden most of the time, that's the type of person that's now currently getting into long-term care because they do provide 24-7 nursing and the highest level of care and support that you require. And they offer different size Rooms, So they'll offer a private room or a semi-private. You may have asked, you wondered, how much does it cost? Well, a private room would cost about $2,800 and a semi-private is $2,500. And the semi-private, just so you get an understanding, Randy, it is actually two rooms separated by a washroom in which they share. Most of the times, that's the situation within long-term care and that's how they're set up. So just to sort of recap, long-term care is run by the public health care system and we don't get to decide when we go. We are only really deciding whether we want to go and if that is something that you would be willing to go into long-term care versus paying privately. You don't have a lot of options in long-term care. And so that is why many more people are opting for privately run retirement living because there typically is not too much of a wait list. It depends on the level of care that you need. And they do offer a wide range of services and amenities. For most people, they think of retirement living is somewhere to go when they need a little extra support. And that support might just mean that they're getting their meals and their housekeeping done. And there's you know opportunity for socialization. When we get into needing more support, you might be looking for an assisted living floor within a retirement living community. And those assisted living floors would provide even a higher level of support, not quite as high as you might get in long-term care for some assisted living. But there are two companies out in our area, the Halton area, that do provide what some people refer to as private long-term care. That's just a coin phrase. It really doesn't mean they're privately run long-term care. That's not really how it works. But they do provide Hoyer Lifts, And they will manage a two-person assist, which most assisted living floors will not do. And the other level of care that you will see is memory living. And memory living are for those that have um, cognitive decline. So again, just like everything, memory living might look differently from each company that offers it. So you really kind of have to know what you're looking for. And you have to ask a lot of questions as to what are situations they may not be able to take. Now with retirement living, they offer a variety of different room types so you might see some studio suites, a one-bedroom, a one-bedroom and a den, and two bedrooms. And there's obviously different costs for the different sizes of suites. You can range in retirement living from a sort of a basic studio at about 3,500 with very little to no care, all the way up to about $14,000, which would you know probably be more like a five-star retirement living, providing the highest levels of care, whether that be for physical care or memory care. And with retirement living being private pay, there are no government subsidies provided for seniors or their families. However, their medical part of their support, so if they're getting, let's say, medication administration, they're getting some shower assistance, or they're getting some help to get them up and dressed in the morning and help with their personal care hygiene, those can be written or claimed on your taxes under the care portion.
1: First of all, I want to thank you because I do think those are terms that a lot of people don't have a lot of good understanding of. So I think you providing that overview is very helpful. Where does the average senior go wrong in determining where they should live later in life? Because it sounds like this is a big decision and I'm wondering, do people really give it the thought that they should? You
2: know, you're right. They actually, they don't, Randy. And I think a lot of times it's because, you know, they've retired and maybe they're still living in their family home and life's going on, but they really have not seen a need to make any changes. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of thought to decide whether you're going to stay in your family home or move and downsize. But this is where I do see people don't spend enough time and put enough thought into this. So I think they go wrong in not having the conversations and not having the communication with their families, with their doctors, with their powers of attorney, those types of people. I think what happens is their needs start to change when they're living in that home that they've been in for years and now they have to go up the stairs for their master bedroom and their full bathroom. And now if they had a change in their health status and their mobility, they may not be able to get upstairs anymore. And so that provides additional challenges where they would require additional support. So I always recommend considering a single story home or moving into an apartment, somewhere that you can live on one level. If you decide to stay in your family home, then you're going to need to make some adjustments. You want to consider changing your house when you become an older senior. So I would say A good time to look at downsizing is really no later than you're 75 because you slow down. Everything kind of slows down. And that change is a big change when you make that move from your family home, to wherever you decide to downsize. And it's more challenging to do as we age. Now, the other thing I would say to people you need to consider as well, is if you're living out in a rural property where there's not as many services, it's very difficult sometimes to get home care out to those rural properties and other services. And you end up having to pay extra or not being able to receive those services
1: you bring up a good point about the lack of planning and, and I think it's natural. These are difficult topics to have conversations about. So I can understand that. You have mentioned to me though, sometimes because of this lack of planning, you're called in for what we might call a crisis situation. And sometimes that's the catalyst. I wonder if you could share a little bit about your experience in terms of, you know, what kind of crisis situations are you dealing with and what are you seeing out there?
2: Going back to that previous point, The crisis usually happens because an older adult hasn't looked at what their health situation is and they've kind of pushed the limit a little bit and so they may have had a fall and even after healing from that, can't do stairs. Your mobility has been compromised and so now you may not be able to go home to your home. So that puts you in a crisis because now you're looking to make a quick change And so there's also cognitive decline. So family, if they're not close by, they may not have sort of seen some cognitive decline that you may be experiencing. All of a sudden, an incident happens. Maybe there's been a medication mix-up and now they're in hospital. And that's when reality hits and you realize, oh boy, I don't think mom or dad can now live independently on their own anymore. So That usually starts the process of looking for memory living in retirement living, typically. Another one is making regular medication errors. And you may want to look at some support. The other big one is when they start to have transportation challenges so if let's say they were recently diagnosed with a cognitive impairment and they're living in their family home well now it's not quite as immediate crisis but it is a crisis because they will need to make a change And then a crisis can also be if they're technologically or digitally excluded so that they don't have the ability or the know-how to get online to search out things or to order groceries online.
1: Lots, again, for us to think about, and hopefully all of us will uh, plan so we're, we're in a good position so that doesn't happen to us. But I know you're also a big supporter, and I personally think this is great, of trying to keep seniors in their home as long as possible. Wondering if you can talk a little bit to our listeners about what can be done to try and keep people in their home for as long as possible. For example, I have a neighbor who's 91 and he's still living independently, and I tell him he's my hero, so any insight into that you could provide would be greatly appreciated.
2: Yeah. And again, these are the things that people should be looking at earlier. Don't wait for the need to widen doorways if you need to use a walker or wheelchair. When you retire, you look at, okay, what's my living environment look like? Maybe now it's when you start installing handrails and grab bars in the bathroom. Bathroom is one of the most dangerous places to be. They say the bathroom and kitchen are where the most falls happen. So. Installing those handrails and grab bars in the bathroom, improving lighting, removing area rugs and other tripping hazards is a great idea. Installing a chairlift or an elevator if it's possible. Sometimes linen closets line up and you can actually have an elevator installed. As I mentioned, widen the doorways, uh, install a raised toilet seat or replace it with a 17-inch toilet so they're not having to sort of go below and having difficulty getting back up. Consider a walk-in zero entry shower with a built-in bench, shower head, that sort of thing to ease of bathing. And then you can always improve technology and communication by installing cameras and other monitoring devices within your living environment so that you can have people check in on you quite literally to see how you're doing. So those are all things if you're looking to age in place, you may want to start to look at doing a also, a main floor renovation where you're adding a master bedroom with an ensuite on the main level to ensure that you can continue to live in that home that you love.
1: Well, and I think that's what we all want, certainly for our loved ones, is to, and that's certainly something I would want for myself. So, thank you for that. Moving on to our next question, we're all very technical in our respective industries, but wondering if you can talk a little bit about the importance of having an advanced healthcare plan.
2: Yeah. So, Advanced healthcare planning has really come about, I believe, because there has been a lot of litigation within estates. And a lot of that happens because of the lack of communication and the lack of understanding of the loved one that has maybe put you as their power of attorney for personal care and or you are their substitute decision maker for personal care. And so that's great. You may be told, okay, you're my power of attorney for personal care. But then you're wondering, what are those decisions that I might have to make? And how much do I know about you in order to help make those decisions? So really, it's how you want to live. So it's the process of making decisions about your future health care and personal care in case you become unable to make your own medical or day-to-day living decisions, but it's really involves thinking about your values, your beliefs, your wishes, and preferences about everything of how you like to live day-to-day. That also will include your end-of-life wishes. So we had talked a little bit about that, Randy, when we spoke, and it really does come under the advanced healthcare plan. So when we're talking about end of life wishes, we're talking about medical treatments later in life. So where you might say, oh yeah, if I'm 90, I've lived a full life, I want a DNR, which is do not resuscitate. So many people that I speak to, they say, yeah, I want a DNR. I don't necessarily want to be revived when I'm 90, if I've had a heart attack or something. But there are actually other ways and other things that are involved in end of life wishes. So a lot of people don't really understand, but you can voluntarily stop eating and drinking and or accepting care. You can also decide on a palliative sedation and that Oftentimes can be intermittent. So basically what a palliative sedation is, is if you're end of life and maybe you have bone cancer, which is very, very painful, instead of opting for medical assistance and dying, you might opt for intermittent palliative sedation. So it's keeping you asleep, but then maybe waking you up for eating and for visiting with others. Very Rarely do they put you under a continuous palliative sedation unless you're about two weeks into the dying process. The other things that you can decide on is the location of care when you're in that end-of-life stage. So many people don't realize that, yeah, if you want to pass at home, you can do that. And the public health system will put together a palliative care team. You can opt for a hospice that are available in most communities nowadays. And they will take you if you're sort of six to eight weeks in the dying process, but they look to house you for about six to eight weeks. Then, of course, hospital or retirement living and long-term care. Some of the other things you need to decide is organ donation. If that's not something you've talked about in the past, it should be something that you do talk to your powers of attorney for personal care about so they're aware. The other big thing now is if you're diagnosed with a disease that is gonna be progressively getting worse and there isn't much chance of improvement, something like a Parkinson's, ALS, even MS, you might be considered eligible for medical assistance in dying in those situations. They are going through some changes right now and they are looking at adding mental health to that, but we are ways off, I think, in including those with mental health being able to opt for medical assistance in dying. And the other one thing is funeral and burial arrangements. You really should make those arrangements or communicate with your loved ones what your wishes are so do you want to be cremated or do you want to be buried and there are other options as well there's this weird and wonderful one called aquamation but if you don't Look into it and sort of find out what are your options, and you might not know what's available to you. So, those are all things that you should sort of have conversations with your family about and do your own research about, ask the questions. But we should all be doing that now while we're healthy so that we can make good informed decisions and plan and make sure that our families are aware of all of our wishes.
1: I couldn't agree more. In my experience, I've seen the the pain that that can cause too. So I for sure would encourage people to be transparent and share it with everyone so that everyone knows what they wish And I think if you share it, you have a higher probability of getting what you actually desired and what you wanted. Exactly. So I think that's important. We've covered off a lot of stuff here today, and I, I want to thank you very much for your time, but maybe just to kind of wrap things up, I'm wondering if you want to leave our audience or listeners with maybe two or three key points that given everything we talked about, kind of here's some key things that if you kind of. To do this, you'd be on the right path.
2: It's really planning. It's really to decide, sit down with your spouse, your family, and think about what does retirement look like for you? And what does it look like in the way of where you're going to live? I really do find that those decisions early on can really set you up for success or failure. Honestly, you also can go to, there's a wonderful resource, the Government and of uh, Canada puts out called Advanced Care Planning in Canada. And that is a great resource for you to just start to look at. But there are other professionals that actually do advanced care planning now. And I really think that people will gain a lot by going through that process and what their wishes are. I know I did it and it really took a huge load off my mind knowing that I had what I wanted later in life. And it doesn't necessarily even mean later in life because we never know when our day is going to come. So I say plan now, don't wait, plan now and do your research now because those will inform you greatly and hopefully more than likely help you to get what you want later on.
1: Well, that's great advice. And I wanna thank you again for your time and for your wisdom. And with that, I'll thank you again. Have yourself a great day.
0: Thanks again to our guest, Jeanette Bach. Insights into Wealth is a Vocal Fry Studios production. Our producer is Katie Jensen. I'm your host, Julian Smith. If you want to reach out to me, please email me directly, or you may find me on LinkedIn. Bull Wealth is the corporate group name of Bull Capital Management, Inc. and Bull Wealth Management Group, Inc. Bull Capital Management, Inc. is registered as a portfolio manager in the provinces of Ontario, British Columbia, Alberta, Quebec, and Saskatchewan, an exempt market dealer in the provinces of Ontario, British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec, and also an investment fund manager in the province of Ontario. The information contained in this podcast is not intended to solicit or to provide research or investment advice to the listeners by Bull Wealth or any of its affiliates. Also, receipt of the podcast by its listeners is not to be taken as constituting solicitation or giving of research or investment advice by Bull Wealth or any of its affiliates. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part.